Good evening and welcome to Unbreak Your Health, the program about the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, the complete guide to complementary and alternative therapies. And tonight our topic is yoga. And our special guest is Elizabeth Winter, assistant editor at Yoga Journal Magazine and a yoga practitioner for six years. In fact, she's currently on the path to becoming an Ansura yoga instructor. Good evening, Elizabeth. Hi, Alan. How long has yoga been around? Um, well, yoga uh, first began in India, I would say, over 5,000 years ago, so that's quite a while at this point. It's, it's been popular in America for some time, but I would say really in the last decade or so as it reached the kind of popularity that we now know it to have. What does the word yoga actually mean? Uh, yoga, it means union. Um, so union between the body and the mind and uh, union within an, in, within an individual and the outside world in general. I know because Americans are usually drawn to yoga as a way to keep fit, but isn't the idea behind it actually the physical practice of yoga to encourage a deeper mind-body connection and awareness? Yeah, that's true. And, you know, physical yoga is really only one type of yoga. There's countless other types of yoga that actually have nothing to do with the asanas in general, but the way that most Americans know it is to be, you know, physical postures. And, um, you know, it does have benefits for stress and, um, you know, overall health, cardiovascular health and blood pressure and some other, you know, other things. But it really is about finding a connection between the body and mind and, and an awareness of things going on within your body and a greater awareness of, of things in general. What are some of the other health benefits of yoga? I guess that's from the ones that I said, cardiovascular health. You know, you can increase strength and flexibility, blood pressure, as I already mentioned. Some people claim that it, you know, strengthens the endocrine system, although there's still, you know, definite scientific proof that needs to be worked on with that one. Um, general weight control, you know, breath and, and lung respiratory kind of ailments. Those are just some of them. I mean, there really are countless countless ways and I think that you know it's really an emerging thing in yoga right now to scientifically prove through different studies what yoga you know really can do for you and there are definitely a lot of studies being done about that right now you know larger ones that are being taken on by people like Dean Ornish and then just all over the country um, you know smaller ones the National Institute of Health had a yoga week this year for the first time so I think that's proof that, that the medical community is starting to see yoga um, more seriously as a way for really preventative health and um, that's a good thing, definitely. Absolutely. And, and then mentioning Dean Ornish and the Ornish program, that was the uh, yoga's big part of his uh, therapy, and it was the first lifestyle therapy approved by Medicare just a few months ago. So mm-hmm. clearly yeah. that's uh, medical verification if there ever was one. Yeah. Yeah, and there's all different kinds of things happening, you know, at, at all different levels, and um, I think we're only going to see more of it as, as time goes on. Aren't, aren't more doctors beginning to recommend yoga for their patients today? Yeah, I believe that's true. Um, you know, definitely in the in the physical therapy world, yoga is becoming more popular as, as a physical therapy. And I also think that, you know, for people with high blood pressure and stress and those kinds of things, I think it is becoming, you know, where a lot of doctors, though, you know, I think that that's where this, the scientific studies are really going to help. The more studies that are out there and the more proof that we can get that yoga is indeed, you know, beneficial in these ways, I think the more that we'll see doctors actually subscribing it. But, you know, as far as yoga has come in, the, in, in this country, there still is a certain degree of, um, I don't know if I would want to call it voodoo, but just kind of, you know, skepticism surrounding it. And I think that the more that, um, you know, we can get medical data, the more that we will see even more doctors prescribing it as, um, as preventative medicine for their patients. How many different types of yoga are there out there today in America? There are quite a few different types. I mean, I would claim that there are maybe 12 different major schools of yoga in the United States. Um, you know, 
that number would probably vary from some people would say less, some people would say more, but I would say that there are 12 major ones that are, you know, popular with some some degree of, uh, you know, just well-known and, and highly popular in, in our country um, today. And correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't there variations within each form? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, all yoga really in the United States is pretty much derived from one school of yoga um, and then from, you know, one main teacher who is working in India. And, and from there, there's, you know, just it, it branches and it branches. So um, there are definitely variations within, and, and they can all they all really have a common lineage. So that's an important thing to remember when people get, you know, really into their their particular style. Just to remember that hatha yoga really does come from sort of one central place. What are the most popular styles that you see? Um, I think in the United States, you know, Iyengar, Ashtanga, and uh, Vinyasa yoga are really are really popular. And then there are you know offshoots of all of those. For example, power yoga being an offshoot, and um, Jiva Mukti yoga. Um, there's, you know, also, of course, Bikram yoga, which is a popular style, and um, Anisara, which is what I study, which is, again, sort of an offshoot and also becoming an increasingly more popular style. So those are, those are pretty much, I would say, some of the main ones. But, again, you know, as you mentioned, that they're becoming more and more and more subdivided as time goes on. I know I was driving around the Dallas area just in the last week, and for the first time I saw two different yoga studios right across the street from each other offering different types, and I said, well, we're, we're starting to make progress if we're getting that uh, that close and that competitive. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, you know, there really is a different type of yoga for every, for different, you know, every different person and every different personality type, and depending on what you're looking to gain from it. So I think it's important that people find, you know, one or more styles that they feel are, are a good fit for them, and I think that that's the, the benefit of having many different styles is that it really gives people the opportunity to play around with, you know, with different different poses and, you know, different meditations and just different schools and, you know, what might, might be right for you at a certain point in your life may not be right for you at a different point in your life. And I think that uh, having all these, these varieties um, give people the chance to play around a little bit and that's definitely a good thing as well. How do you figure out, you know, what's going to be the best type of yoga for you at any one point? Um, that's a good question. I think that the, you know, the tricky thing with that is that what people are drawn to isn't always what they need. And so a really, you know, um, type A personality might be drawn to something, let's say, like power yoga, which is very sort of strength-oriented and intense and um, driven, whereas maybe what they really need is more of a restorative practice or, um, you know, a yin practice. So I think the key is to, you know, part of it is what draws you and then part of it is what you think that you're trying to gain from it and to sort of balance those two things sort of intuitively what you feel um, you know, you like, and then, you know, sort of more mentally what you think you might might be useful to you. But, um, you know, I think depending on your level of fitness and, um, you know, whether you're looking for something that's more active or something that's more maybe passive and whether, you know, it's the asana component that interests you or meditation more or pranayama, which is the breathing practice of yoga, um, my recommendation for someone who is looking to figure out what, what practice would be good for them is to just go try a lot of different things, try as many different classes as you can and sort of notice or take notes of um, what what gets, you know, what gets you excited in each class. And from there, you know, you, you can kind of find a fit. And as much as the um, particular style is important, you know, individual teachers are also important too. So I think finding both a style and a teacher that you feel like you can, you know, you feel comfortable with and you feel like you can work with and grow with, um, that's a really important key to doing yoga for a long time, you know, for longevity in yoga. A lot of people do yoga for a short period of time, but as we know, the longer you do it for, the, the more, um, you know, exponentially really the benefits increase. So that's an important piece of it too. I, I assume that there's some variation among the different types, but, you know, how often should you be doing yoga? Is it well, something you should do daily or? 
That's a good question. I think a lot of people would say that once you get really into the practice of yoga, that's sort of everything that you're doing is yoga, whether it be, you know, an interaction in your office with your boss or, you know, choices that you make about things that you eat or, you know, the, of course, the postures themselves. But if we're just talking about the physical postures of yoga, I think, you know, most dedicated yogis do some sort of practice, whether it's just a really short practice um, daily. But, you know, I think you can feel the benefits even from just a once-a-week practice. But I think that probably once a week would be the minimum if you're really hoping to see, um, you know, long-lasting and accumulative results. Is there a difference on how long a yoga class would last among the different types? I think the majority of yoga classes last an hour and a half. And, you know, that's just your standard class. Of course, there are workshops and intensives that would last for multiple hours or a whole day. But I think on average, almost all the yoga classes last last for about an hour and 30 minutes. And and is it better to do it in the morning to get you, you know, stretched and loosened and, and started? Or is it better to use it in the evening to wind down and de-stress from the day? That's a good question. I think there are lots of different opinions on that. And I by no means could be the ultimate, you know, uh, expert in, in, in determining that. I really think that it would depend on the person and um, and also, you know, the different style, you're not going to want to do a really vigorous practice right before you're trying to go to sleep because chances are that's going to keep you awake for some amount of time. And conversely, you know, while some people might find a restorative practice like really, you know, nice in the morning, for me that would make me just too tired to keep going for the rest of my day. So I think a part of it, you know, depends on the personality and and then part of it is, you know, generally speaking, you're not going to want to do something that's really physical um, right before you're trying to sleep. But as I said, you know, I think that there are people who would argue differently on um, on that point. Listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll love my new book. The second edition of How to Unbreak Your Health is your map to the world of complementary and alternative therapies. It features a new user-friendly format and 339 new and updated listings in 150 different categories. And you can get it on Amazon.com or at your local bookstore. I don't know if you happen to catch it, but there was a front-page article in the Wall Street Journal recently about the growing number of what they called yoga bears, or people in the financial industry turning to yoga for stress relief in the current bear market. Yeah, I did see that. I think that's an interesting trend. I think it's a great thing. There's, you know, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, the more people that do yoga and the more people that can find any kind of, you know, relief from it, the better. And, you know, I definitely think that, that the so-called Wall Street marketplace is a wonderful place for yoga to go because I'm sure that those people are in need of a bit of stress relief, particularly right now. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's a great thing. And, and I think that there are actually even studios who are sort of started catering to that particular um, population. And I think that that's, that's an interesting thing. And I'm sure we'll see that as a growing trend. I know most men don't appreciate how challenging a workout yoga can really be because I know from personal experience, pumping iron doesn't wear me out as much as doing yoga. It's yeah. amazing how totally involved it is. I've heard that a lot. You know, I think a lot of um, a lot of people, a lot of men in particular, though I don't want to generalize, um, you know, think yoga is just sort of this passive stretching um, practice, and that you know is a, a piece of it, you know, so to speak. But um, it's you know it's definitely a challenging practice, and depending on the style that you're doing, it can be more or less physical. And you know, for me, physical yoga is really the combination of strength and stretching, and um, that's something that men you know find tricky. Obviously, they you know, in general, men suffer from flexibility, tightness, you know, lack of flexibility more than women do. But, um, you know, in general, I think that guys that I have done yoga with who haven't, who hadn't been exposed to practice before, you know, unanimously kind of say, like, wow, that was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Uh, so I think that the myth that yoga is just 
kind of hanging out or passive stretching is one that, um, you know, I think it's getting abolished pretty quickly the more people that actually get exposed to the practice. Don't more women uh, take yoga than men? Yeah, yeah, that definitely is the case, and I think it's quite a bit um, more than men. Yeah, I think it's, it's almost 70, 70% of women, I think only 30% of men roughly um, make up, the, you know, the people who are doing yoga, which is a pretty interesting thing that considering that yoga was created entirely by men. Um, but, you know, now um, that's what it's evolved to in this country. And I think, you know, I feel sort of impartial about that. I think it would be great if more men did yoga. I'm sure many of them could see the benefits. But at the same time, I think it's just great that whoever finds yoga and finds that it works for them, you know, does it, and whether they're men or women, um, not so important. But, of course, you know, we'd always like to see gender gender equality in and, and all kinds of uh, practices, including the practice of yoga. Do you know how many people uh, in total are doing yoga in America right now, or ballpark figure? Um, yeah, I do. I think it's about uh, 15 million people, maybe closer to 16 million people, but um, that's a lot of people. So uh, almost 7% of the population I know is doing yoga um, today. So pretty good, and I'm sure we'll see that increase, you know, over time. Well, I know it's becoming, uh, people are beginning to notice it because Americans are spending something like $6 billion a year on yoga now, so... It's, yeah. it's starting to hit the radar in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it is a big market, definitely. And, you know, um, there's there's yoga vacations and yoga retreats and yoga products and all kinds of things that are adding to, you know, just aside from yoga classes. But um, it's definitely becoming a very booming industry. I've heard that some folks, uh, which you mentioned earlier, when they've got a lot of stress and they're, they're kind of wound up, that they find it difficult to sit still in some of the yoga positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely had that experience myself. Um, you know, sometimes the stillness can be the hardest part for people. A really active practice where you're quickly moving through sun salutations or a vinyasa class can, even though maybe physically more exerting, can be easier for some people than just like being very quiet and sort of um, seeing what comes up when you're being very still. So I think that newcomers to yoga, while they may find challenge in the physicalness, may also find challenge in the stillness. And I think that that's, you know, really an aspect that, that takes time because a lot of things, you know, um, emotional things, psychological things can come up in those places where we're just being very still. So it's definitely something I've experienced as a yoga practitioner myself. And um, and I think that really, you know, the best thing to do in those situations is just sort of to try to take things as they come. And especially when you begin, you know, and, and when you begin a meditation practice also, which is, you know, typically when we're being really still in yoga, although restorative practices and some of the longer, you know, styles where you hold the poses for longer, you can also be in stillness for quite a while. Um, you know, don't feel like you have to do a three-hour meditation practice when you first start. For some people, 10 minutes is going to be more than enough. And just to kind of, over time, feel like you'll be able to cultivate the ability to that, that staying power um, for longer and longer. So, you know, in the number one thing with, you know, yoga, or one of the number ten, number one tenets is not, no judgment. So never judge yourself because you feel, well, I can't, I can't sit here or I can't do this vigorous practice. It's really just about accepting where you are on that day and knowing that that will change over time. You know, many of the people who take advantage of uh, other types of complementary and alternative therapies tend to have higher education and income levels. Is, are those characteristics that you tend to see in the yoga world as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you know, I've read that 40, about 40% or 45% of yogis have household incomes of $75,000 or more, and about the same, or 70% are, about are, are college educated. So that is true. Um, the beauty of yoga, you know, aside from, from when you're learning and you need the instruction of the teacher is that it's really a, a practice you can do anywhere um, at any time, you know, in, the, in your own convenience, and it doesn't cost any money. So while, you know, initially some people say, oh, look, these classes are expensive or something like that, I think the thing that people need to keep in mind is that 
over time, you're really just able to do yoga. You know, going to classes is always an enjoyable thing, but, but it shouldn't, you know, prevent you from having having that kind of practice yourself. Now, Yoga Journal actually began way back in 1975, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It began a long time ago, and I think at that point it was really just primarily a way for, for yoga teachers to communicate with one another. There wasn't really the yoga world that we ha- in, that we have in America today, um, so I think it was a way to exchange information and, and just for them to stay sort of on top of, of what was going on in the yoga world. And now, of course, it's evolved to, I think, our, you know, we have a circulation of over 350,000 people in the United States. So a lot of people are reading this magazine, and I think it's everywhere, you know, from beginners, people who are just getting into yoga and who are looking for a resource, um, you know, both to inspire them and to answer their questions and, um, you know, to get a home practice and to get some information about poses and that kind of thing. And also, um, you know, to, to see opportunities that are available to them, like within the yoga world and, and uh, you know, different things that are out there in terms of yoga trends and uh, conferences and, and all that kind of thing. Speaking of conferences, I believe that Yoga Journal sponsors four major ones each year and that you've probably got one, I think, coming up in September in Colorado and then uh, Florida in October. That's right, yeah. We have one coming up in Estes Park in September and that, um, that's a really fun one. That's our flagship conference that happens every year in Estes Park in, in September, and I believe this is going to be the 13th year that we will be there. So that's one to look forward to. This year, it's actually, um, we're starting with the Anusara gathering. It's the first one ever in the United States, so any practitioners of Anusara who are out there should definitely um, check in about that. And, um, yeah, then we're going to be at the Western Diplomat in Florida. That's going to be in uh, November, and that's a new location for us, but I hear it's really beautiful and um that should be a good time on the beach. So the, the conferences are really great. I mean, they're amazing opportunities to learn more about yoga, to take classes with, you know, the top teachers really in, in the country, if not the world, and to meet other yogis. And just, you know, it's a, it's a fun event. It's a social event. And I think people always leave um, feeling really inspired and, and feeling like they gained a lot of good information for their practice. And is it just a coincidence that your flagship conference happens to take place in September, which is National Yoga Month? <sighs> Probably not a coincidence. I mean, September is also a lovely month in in uh, the Rockies, so I think you know the weather will be right, just the mood will be right, and it'll it'll just be a great event in general. Elizabeth, I always have heard yoga teachers say Namaste both before and after the class. What does that actually mean? Namaste. Yeah, that means um, you know peace be with you, really. So you're it's an offering of peace, uh, you know, to yourself, to the universe, and to the people that you just spent your your yoga practice with. And then people usually respond with Namaste, which also means you know and with you. So um, it's really just an offering of peace to the to the community. Well, Elizabeth, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk with me today about yoga. You're welcome, Ellen. Thank you. And anyone wanting to learn more about yoga should really visit the Yoga Journal website at www.yogajournal.com. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back next week with another edition, but to learn more about our guest today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd also love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon.